A couple announcements for you. If you're not a student or parent, you can zone out for a minute here. Students and parents, we, have, we started youth group again this past Wednesday. It was awesome that we had social distancing and we wore masks. S super good time. If you have not come, check it out. Come check it out this Wednesday. A couple events coming up too. We're going to the Flowrider this Friday. The Flowrider is this awesome boogie board slash surfing simulator and uh, would love to see you there. Register for that online. And then parent meeting is a week from today in this room. Just stay after service, half hour with me. I want to share my heart for student ministry this semester, ways to connect your students to Jesus, to his word, to his mission, and to his family here. Thank you, sir. Um, so yeah, and uh, I got a haircut. I know you guys have liked watching it from a distance or not liked watching it from a distance, but Sammy, who does not cut hair, cut my hair this past week, and uh, in her loving summary, she says, it does not look horrendous. <laughs> so, thanks, Sammy. Um, okay, come back to me if you zoned out. Let's turn our attention to the passage and let's hear from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7, 2 through 7, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we know from your, your scripture that no one comprehends the word of God except for the, the spirit of God. So we humbly and boldly come and we ask you to fill us with your spirit, that we would hear from you, that we might know you better, that we might love you more and learn to embody truth and grace in our lives. Help us, Lord. Encourage us. Amen. So let's talk about the difference between immature people and, and mature people. Immature versus mature. See, an immature person demands that life meets their demands. Demands that life meets their demands. It's not hard to think of examples of this, right? I went on family vacation with my three-year-old nephew a couple weeks ago, and when he does not get what he wants, he throws a fit. He's kicking and screaming and crying and what a little baby. He's immature. That, that's just how it is. But it, obviously, it's not exclusive to three-year-olds, right? We have seen how people act during a pandemic, and there's all kinds of immaturity. We, we see it. Maybe you've seen it in yourself. Like, there's days I just don't want to read my emails because I don't want to, and that's just immature. I want life to meet my demands. On the other hand, mature people meet the demands of life. And life is demanding, is it not? 
right? You wake up and it's right there demanding you have a hard conversation today. It's demanding that you learn a new skill, which is going to be uncomfortable, so that you can be good at your job. It's, it's demanding that you die to your preferences, so you can love your family well. Life is demanding, and, and God calls us not to immaturity, but to maturity. He, he calls us to move from spiritual immaturity into spiritual maturity, where we meet the demands of a godly life, where we should be growing. And one person who exemplifies this in Scripture is Paul. Paul's the one writing this letter, and he is consistently meeting the demands of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so he has planted this church in Corinth, and at some point, this church and him, they have relationship issues. And so he writes them this hard, painful letter where he says, hey, it's not me, it's you guys. You guys, you've turned away from me because you've turned away from God. Come back to me. Come back and follow my leadership as I follow Christ. And one of the things he's doing is he's trying to teach them a paradox of the Christian life, that the best leaders are the best followers. So if you're going to follow Jesus, if you want to be a leader and influence people, you have to follow Jesus. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, I don't care. I don't, I'm not a leader, and I don't want to be one. Too bad. You are. You already are a leader. Uh, leadership at its core is just influence. So you already have influence, whether you like it or not. Leadership does not, you don't have to have a title or a position or be authorized by some kind of organization. You already have influence in your life, direct and indirectly. Some have more, some have less, some have godly influence, mature influence, some have immature influence, but we all have influence. And so my question for you is, for us, is how are we using our influence? Are we using it to encourage people, to give them the courage that it takes to meet the demands of life, or are we discouraging people with our influence? How are we using our influence? I'm just going to walk through the passage and make some observations. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. This is Paul again saying, hey, it's not me, it's you. I don't say this to condemn you, since I've already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. See, Paul is he's not correcting them or commanding them because he wants to be harsh with them. It's because he loves them. He wants to see them flourish, so he's calling them back to himself. He says, I'm very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. What kind of afflictions did Paul have? He then lists them in verse 5. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. This short sentence, Paul, is, Paul can understate things often, right? And so he is, this is an understated explanation of his suffering. But maybe you can relate to him in some sense. Like, have you felt like you've had no rest recently? Do you feel like you had no rest? You come to some place expecting it to be restful, and then the opposite is true. 
He's afflicted in every way. Maybe you can relate to the, the conflicts on the outside that he's talking about. You go and you're expecting peace, you're expecting to connect to someone, and then conflict. And not, not only that, though, those are the external things. He says there's all kinds of fears within. The, the fears, the insecurity, concerns, worries, what's going to happen? And all these things are just a list of things that can discourage us, right? And the more discouraged we are, the harder it is to, to be the mature follower of God who's meeting the demands of life. So how does Paul... How does Paul get encouraged here? This is one way that he does if we keep going. How is he filled with joy and encouragement, even in his suffering? Verse 6, But God, but God who comforts the downcast. These two words, but God, happen 23 times together in the New Testament, and it's always, he's, there's some kind of list of challenges, some kind of sin, some kind of wickedness, some kind of evil or conflict, and then these two words come, but God. And he is the difference maker. And I think this would be a great way for us to share testimonies, too. Not just a, not a formal way, but just talk about your life with the challenges. I have no rest. I have conflicts without. I'm, I actually have these insecurities within, but God. Because God is the difference maker, and, and you can change the way you're telling your story to include him, to highlight him, to say, hey, here is how God's faithfulness has shown up in my challenges. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So how does God encourage his people? When you're too discouraged to meet the the demands of life, how does God encourage his people? Well, I want you to notice two things in this passage with me. The source of the encouragement and the messengers. Paul says, but God, meaning God is the source, but who's the messenger? Who takes this encouragement to Paul? Well, there's multiple, right? That's the Corinthians and Titus and then Paul. So we have this, this loop where the Corinthians respond to that painful letter with maturity. They respond, they, they mourn over their sin, and they, they turn back to Paul. And then Titus sees this, and he's encouraged by it. And then he goes and encourages Paul with this good news. So there's this encouragement train that's happening here. And and what I want you to know is that God encourages his people through his people. God encourages his people through his people. See, God is the author of encouragement. He created comfort. He could have just dropped a care package of encouragement right into Paul's heart, right? There's no need to use the Corinthians or Titus. But God chose to use the Corinthian church. He chose to use Titus. He is entrusting humans to do godly work. We get to play a a part. We're privileged to play a role in the encouragement of God's people. And you being here today is a great example of that. We're encouraging each other by showing up. 
by worshiping together, we're building up one another as well as worshiping God. Let's jump down to 13 really quickly. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. It's one big rejuvenation fest, right? Titus is encouraged, and then he encourages Paul. And Paul, who in here is Paul not encouraged? Do you see the ripple effect? God encourages his people through his people. And that's why I hope you understand and I hope you believe that you have influence. Because you have influence to encourage God's people. We're going to get word nerdy here for a second. This word encourage and discourage. Let's think about encourage. See, if you break it down, it's two words. There's a prefix. The E-N is the prefix. And then courage comes from the Latin word core. Core, which means heart. So that, that prefix, the E-N prefix, that's a transitive, that has a transitive effect. So to encourage someone is to transfer heart to them. You're transferring heart for them so that they can meet the demands of life, the demands of a guy life. On the, on the opposite side, discourage, Dis has a, is a negative force prefix. prefix. So what it does is when you're discouraging someone, you're cutting away a piece of their heart. You're, you're, you're causing it to shrink like the Grinch. You're, you're making it harder for them to have the courage to face the demands of life. So we should absolutely not be flippant about the influence we have. We should wield it wisely. We, we should take on the serious calling that it is to influence other people towards God or away from God, towards maturity or towards immaturity. Because the reality is this, that immature Christians discourage others. Immature Christians discourage others. I'm not talking about the baby Christian who, who has just become a Christian, and he's learning and growing, and, or she's learning and growing, and, and just doesn't know any better, but is still acting fully. I'm talking about the, the person who's been following Jesus for years and knows better, but is not willing to face the pain of growth. Who's not willing to, to repent and confess again. The immature Christian discourages others. And again, not hard to think of examples. Have you ever been on a group outing or a family trip and there's one person there whose negativity is just ruining the whole thing? It's like all the fun disappears into the black hole of their complaining. Yeah, I've been, I, I know that because I've been that person on family trips. And the same thing is true in the family of God. There, the way you live, the way your, your attitude is, your daily faithfulness or your daily lack of faithfulness, your, your stance or lack of stance, what you post on social media, all these things affect the family of God. And an immature person has the, the discouraging effect on the family of God. Do you want to be the immature person? And, and immaturity is often cyclical, too. 
right? You can see it in families. You, you have parents who demand that life meets their demands. And, and then, guess who gets to work with their kids? And you see it. It's like there's this victim mindset. Everything is someone else's fault. Things need to go my way. But the opposite is also true. And that's why fathers, husbands, I, I know life is hard. I know life is hard. But you could be the person to disrupt this cycle of immaturity. My dad did it for our family, and I am forever grateful for it. And I call you out, fathers, husbands, because you are called to be the spiritual leader of your family. And I'm looking at a lot of great fathers and husbands in here, and it's really encouraging to me. Because you are meeting the demands of life. You're meeting what, it's called, what, what God calls us to be as fathers and husbands, the spiritual leaders. Because when you have maturity, maturity encourages right? Spiritual maturity encourages other people to be spiritually mature. You give heart to other people. You help them meet the demands of their own life just by being faithful in your own. It's almost like this community heart. The more we're all faithful, the more we all can meet the demands of our life. And then we have heart to go out and be a blessing to other people as well. It's cyclical in a, in a positive direction. Just like Paul has, the, Paul has the maturity to write a really painful letter to the Corinthian church. And, and they have the maturity to respond. Titus has the maturity to share the good news instead of keeping it to himself. And Paul is then encouraged again. And so actually, the more mature you are, the more you, are you, the more you can be encouraged by the fruit of your work, too. So maybe have that hard conversation that, that you don't want to have all that much. And then think about it, too. When you see somebody worshiping, when you see someone passionately worshiping, even in here, don't you want to be like, oh, yeah, I want to worship God like that, too. There's something really encouraging when other people point us to Jesus. Do you want to be the person who's cutting chunks out of people's heart? Or the person who's transferring heart to other people. By the way, you don't lose heart when you transfer heart to someone. That is the other beautiful thing. You encourage and you get encouraged. And so mature Christians encourage directly and indirectly. Like Titus is directly encouraging Paul. He's sharing the good news right to him. But the Corinthians have this indirect, this indirect influence and encouragement to Paul. My friend Jeff said this about, about Christians who just share what's going on in their life, sharing God's faithfulness. Uh, and we, I think just sharing is probably an underrated form of encouragement, just sharing what's happening in your life. Jeff, my friend Jeff said this, I'm encouraged when I hear other Christians stand up and give testimony to how God has worked and is currently working in their lives. I think the reason it is so encouraging is that Often we feel we're alone in our struggles. But when you hear other people stand up and give testimony to their struggles and God's faithfulness, you are encouraged. You're given hope to hold on, and you know that you are not alone. Are you ready to share a good word, an encouraging word with someone else? Like informally and formally, 
when you're at a small group and when you're just in small talk, can you share God's faithfulness? Can you share your own struggles but God? Are you ready to do that at any moment? Because you can directly encourage someone that way with your words. But you also don't have to always be the one talking to encourage. One way, another way to directly encourage someone is just help them believe that they're valuable by listening. You know the, the best way to help someone believe that they're valuable? Treat them like they're valuable. Whoever God has put in your path, listen to them. Ask them questions. Try to enter into their world. One of my favorite authors, M. Scott Peck, he he's, writes this about parenting, this quote, but I think it applies to anybody God puts in your path. He says this, you can't play patty cake very well when your mind is elsewhere. And if you can only play patty cake half-heartedly, you're running the risk of having a half-hearted child. If you can only half-heartedly engage with someone, you're, you're running the risk of half-heartedly encouraging them or discouraging them. Who are the people God has put in your path that, that you're called to wholeheartedly engage? Obviously, we can't all do this with everybody. There's certain people in your life, though, that you can. And then indirectly, so that the Corinthians indirectly encourage, and there's this ripple effect. Uh, again, I'm going to use worship service as the example here because it's something we can all relate to. When you see someone passionately singing, you want to passionately sing or worship. When you see someone who's standing there like a dead fish, does that make you want to worship? Not really. It does not really make me want to join them. By the way, do you know why we sing when we gather? One, it's commanded in Scripture. But two, it's commanded not just for, between you and God for your own personal worship, but for the building up of one another. For the building up of one another, which means there will be times when your most sincere form of worship is when you're singing a song you don't even like because you know it's helping someone else. Because your mission is to build up the church, to edify the people around us. And, and as we do that, we give hearts to the people around us. And it, again, worship service, just an example, it applies across the board. If we all thought, oh, I'll just be a spectator in this part of God's mission, who would be engaging? We, we need to, your participation, your engagement matters. It really does. You have influence. How are you using it? I've talked a lot about needing more heart, more courage to, to meet the demands of a godly life, but we need more than that, don't we? We need more than just more heart. And this is the, the beauty of the gospel. God provides not just more heart, but an utterly new heart. A, a heart that, that enables us to meet the demands. A heart from stone to a heart of flesh that, that has a spirit indwelling. 
And the more we walk with God, the more we walk with God, the more we see His holiness, we see our brokenness, the more we appreciate the, the cross that covers this gap. The more we appreciate the person and work of Christ. Have you thought about what life demanded of Jesus? His daily life, what did life demand of Jesus? Sinlessness. And his father demanded a perfect sacrifice because he has perfect justice. And Jesus met every demand of his father. And because he gave his life fully, we can have fullness of life. We can have a new heart that is transformed, that is empowered by God, that is, has a spirit indwelling. And as we, more, as we walk with God, as we keep ourselves rooted and, and fixed on the truth of the gospel, we have the heart to, to ste step into maturity, to have the, the painful conversations we need to have, to learn the new skills we need to, to repent often, to apologize, to confess, like all these things that we need to live a life of maturity. It's all provided on the cross for us in the resurrection, in the life of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us wholeheartedly, for, for giving your whole heart, your whole son for us. Lord, would you help us stay fixed on the cross, keeping our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Encourage us. Amen.